I'm Cray Beaumont Flynn. Welcome to Beyond the Design, a show that gives you a peek behind the curtain of the design industry and shares the stories of those that are the driving force behind it. So today we have Christopher Kennedy from Christopher Kennedy Inc. with us. We're so excited to have you on the show today, Christopher. So why don't you just start, go ahead and start and tell us about your story of being a designer and working in this industry. Oh, gosh. How much time do we have? Uh, I run a interior design (laughs) firm in Palm Springs, California. I started it, I keep trying to remember, nearly 20 years ago, let's say in 2005. So 18 years ago, I was pretty young when I started and to say I didn't know what I didn't know would be a vast understatement, but I've just been working my way here in Palm Springs and now we have some retail, some product licensing. I've authored two books. So it's been a fun journey and I'm happy to share as much of it as you like. So you've been a busy man. You, you've, uh, you've covered all aspects from designer to books to retail. So you can pretty much doing it all now. We have. I mean, I guess I had a lot, you know, a big checklist of things I wanted to do. And it's kind of crazy that we have done a lot of them and uh, kind of full circle now. It's, yeah, we're just now thinking about kind of getting back to just being a designer. So it's funny once you kind of check those boxes off to realize, okay, done that. And now I'm kind of in the process of actually just getting back to my roots and happy to chat about that as well. But you can absolutely. Ask well, briefly, I went to school for architecture. Uh, I wanted to kind of be a designer since I was a kid. I was drawing floor plans and houses and furniture when I was, you know, seven or eight years old. My dad gave me my first book on Frank Lloyd Wright when I was perhaps 10. So I'd really never wanted to do anything else. And I went to school for architecture and find my way into focusing on interiors. Fantastic. So I, do you practice one sector versus the other? Residential versus hospitality, a commercial, or do you pretty much do any type of project? Uh, we're lucky we do mostly high-end residential, but of course, a lot of us want to do commercial. We've done a couple of restaurants. We've done a uh, hair salon. And actually, just right now, uh, this is summer 2023, and we're just onboarding a couple of fun commercial projects. So we're doing a new lounge here in Palm Springs and possibly a hotel project. So super excited to dive into that. But uh, you know, second homes, vacation homes has largely been... Uh, our bread and butter for 18 years. So throughout that 18 years, what are some of the funny stories or anecdotes or things that you've learned throughout your professional career? Uh, gosh, everything. I guess, everything <laughs> I know so much. And we're still learning every day, you know, something yeah. I guess I'm going to share with people as I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of my industry icons, whether, you know, it's Alexa Hampton or Tom Felicia, and these people become good friends is something you realize is that everyone you think has it figured out. And I think people look at me and I know they want to know my secrets. They think I have it figured out. And I think something you realize is really everyone is like parenting, right? You're just kind of doing hopefully the best that you can on a daily basis and making the best decisions with the information that you have and hopefully with good intentions. And we're all just kind of figuring it out as we go along. There kind of is no magical moment where it's like, Oh, I've got it all figured out. Like then there's just something else to figure out. So just kind of doing your best every day. And uh, you kind of realize even the icons are just doing their best every day and they're still figuring it out. Um, Because I launched my firm when I was 27 after working for a big company for like 18, maybe less than a year, actually. So um, I went to school for architecture, 
I was interning actually in the summers at Walt Disney World, and I wanted to be an Imagineer. That was actually my goal when I was in college. Uh, and I figured out kind of midway through architecture school, I didn't really want it to follow the typical career path of architecture of having to intern, intern for a firm and draw bathrooms for five years and then, you know, sit for this really hard exam, which means you can just get sued when the building falls down and, you know, and I have all this, you know, onus on you. So I kind of knew I didn't really want to be an architect in the traditional sense while I was still in college. So I started interning for Disney in Florida. I stayed on to get my master's in business uh, administration at the same school, started that path. And kind of funny story along the way is like Disney kind of didn't turn out at the last minute, didn't quite work out. It's a long, sad story I won't share with you. It was the year 2000, like the tech bubble, the dot-com, if you guys are old enough to know the whole like dot-com craze of the late 90s, early 2000s. And I had this new MBA and I turned down Disney in LA and went to work as like a stockbroker and like financial planner. So that's kind oh, of wow. a funny story. <laughs> surprised my parents, surprised myself, got kind of caught up in the tech bubble. And the minute I moved to LA to work in business and finance, like the bubble quickly burst. I still blame myself for that. So I stuck it out. I was like 24, 25 years old, um, doing business and finance in LA. And uh, obviously, it wasn't my passion. I was kind of pretty miserable. And but long story short, my parents both passed away and got very sick. And I realized life's too short not to do what you love. And I had a new boyfriend who's now my husband. He didn't like LA. So we kind of just uprooted everything and we moved to Palm Springs. Um, we knew that he could work in healthcare. He was a nurse and it seemed like a good place to get back to my roots in architecture and design. So like 27-year-old, I just moved to Palm Springs to kind of figure my life out. Wow. And... Palm Springs is kind of the hub of mid-century modern, wouldn't you say? It, it is. It was kind of... Um, I was at the right place at the right time for that. So I know like I've written two books on mid-century design and people uh, really associate us with that. If you look at our current work, I like to think that we're evolving a bit. We can chat about that in a minute. But you know, when I moved to Palm Springs, like actually a lot of the mid-century... I mean, the houses really had been... Uh, it wasn't really fashionable at the time. I mean, in the early 2000s, like what was the style in California? Do you have any idea? I'm going to hop quiz for you, Cray. Like what was the style <laughs> in California, like in the early 2000s or everywhere, really? What do you think? Uh, block houses over and over again. Just big monstrosities, block houses. Yes, McMansions is maybe exactly. Yes. So like, when I moved here, really like everything was Italian and Tuscan. And that Diane Lane movie had just come out and everyone was oh, building okay. these McMansions and wanted a, you know, Italian Tuscan villa in Palm Springs. And it was dark and heavy. And I was just this, you know, 27-year-old kid doing contemporary design. I wouldn't call it mid-century, but I liked modern. I went to school for architecture. I went to Europe to study the Bauhaus and the modern masters. And so I wanted to do modern and I did find clients who were doing modern and contemporary, but honestly, there wasn't even a lot of sourcing. Like back in the day, I was buying a lot of, you know, commercial fabrics and furniture, like from, you know, Knoll Fabrics and Knoll Furniture and Bernhardt Design, which is different. That's their contract division, different than Bernhardt right, right. You know, Furniture. So I was doing modern design. And then suddenly this TV show called Mad Men came out. Um, and, you know, frankly, gay guys from San Francisco were moving to Palm Springs. Uh, they were buying up these little mid-century houses and they wanted to restore them. And I kind of just, right. so it kind of became popular while I was here. And I'm just this lucky guy who was sort of in the right place at the right time. 
Well, it, it was a good thing that it became the it factor too, because I think probably most of those would have been bulldozed if it hadn't, you know? I know they were. I mean, they were absolutely people were taking these houses, they were making them look Santa Fe style, like in the late in the eighties and nineties, that was popular even where right. I was in Denver growing up as a kid, like the Santa Fe style. My mom had the, you know, like whatever that like Kekopelli dancer and the Adobe <laughs> style. So people were taking these houses and making them look like anything but what they originally were. They were making them look Santa Fe, that they were making them look Italian 10 years later. And they, it really wasn't fashionable. Um, and it's just ironic. And there's a story, if I can tell you, I'd like to think, I've heard it so many times, it could be like an urban legend, but uh, there's an architect named uh, Donald Wexler. And he designed a lot of these mid-century houses mm-hmm. here in Palm Springs. And he actually passed away not that long ago. When I moved here, you know, he was, he was still alive. And... The story goes like in the early 2000s, these two guys, because of course it was two guys from San Francisco, bought a Wexler house and literally kind of like looked in the phone book. Like we have the internet, but it wasn't quite what it was today. And they literally looked in the phone book and Mr. Wexler was listed and they called him. And keep in mind, he he had built this house, what, 40 years before. And then he watched it become unpopular. Like imagine as a designer or an architect, like building something and, you know, we're erecting structures on this earth. They're going to last for a long time about in our quick consumer culture. But, and then he watched it get reviled. Like he watched people take his, you know, international style, mid-century post and beam, whatever, and make it look Santa Fe and make it look Italian and Tuscan. And like, really they were hated. Like what must have that been like for him to watch his life? Yeah. Bastardized like that. And so the story goes like these two guys literally looked up his phone number and called him out of the phone book and said, Mr. Wexler, we've just bought one of your houses. We love it. And would you help us restore it? Wow. Like, yeah, because I think most designers are architects. I get goosebumps thinking about (laughs) it. And so uh, that's when it started. And then luckily, you know, a great TV show called Mad Men came out and (laughs) suddenly it was all the rage again. Yeah. I think most designers and architects take their creativity and the projects that they do as like giving birth to your child because it comes from your brain and you you see it to a grown up, you know, a completed project. So I'm sure he felt like, oh no, (laughs) my child is going the wrong (laughs) way. (laughs) Yes. So luckily it came around and now there's a Wexler week in Palm Springs. So the story has a happy ending and he carries on even after he's left us on this earth. There's a Wexler week celebrating his design and architecture. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. His story, his story lives on and so does his work. Is there a Christopher Kennedy aesthetic? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Again, it involves, I, I'd like to think so. I mean, people who see our work and, you know, we got, we did mid century at the time, you know, the last 15 years, I'd like to think that we were never doing something slavish or creating museums. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first truly mid-century, like after I was just doing contemporary and then I was working for this family um, and uh, my clients, I was having a meeting with my client and her husband and my client's brother walks in the door at the end of our meeting. And he says, uh, he says, I just bought the Jack Webb house in Palm Springs. Can you maybe help with it? Notice like I'm totally ignoring your question and, and telling you a story, but when I started sort of doing the truly mid-century, this guy, this, you know, British client, my client's brother walked in the door, says, I just bought the Jack Webb house. He was the star and creator of Dragnet uh, mm-hmm. in the 
50s and 60s, I guess. He was hard to enjoy Friday. And it was the house he built at the height of his fame on the Dragnet show. And uh, my clients were from Chicago. They just bought this house. thought it was cool. And I walked over and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like 30 years old. I get to kind of work on this cool pedigreed celebrity home in Palm Springs. But my clients at that point, they were probably in their 60s. They had lived through that era. They didn't really want to go back in time. They didn't want to live in a time capsule. And so it's like, how do you take that idea? How do you take that ethos and obviously honor it, um, but not just be slavish in the past? Because I like to think mm-hmm. that if these great mid-century designers and architects were alive today, they wouldn't be resting on their 70-year-old laurels, right? They were innovators. Right. And, Pioneers, they were using new technologies and bent wood and plastic and metal in case of, you know, furniture and, you know, steel and post and beam and big glazing in terms of the architecture. They were pushing it forward. And if they were, you know, alive today, they would be pushing it forward. So I like to think it's really more of an honor to their legacy to look at what's next than just to use the same chair or the same light fixture to recreate what they did 70 years ago, because they wouldn't be doing that if they were here today. True, true. They want a living environment that's living and breathing yeah. and forever yeah. morphing into its next stage right. and next so, life. If there's a Christopher Kennedy aesthetic, I guess it's, I think it's sort of rooted in kind of, you know, California cool, um, sort of just the idea of being you know, inside, outside of Palm Springs. I think it's, I like to think that it's exuberant. I'd like to think that it's nostalgic in the best way possible. Um, I like to think that it's inspiring um, in terms of the use of just color and form and a bit unexpected um you're kind of honoring the best parts of the past but looking optimistically towards the future correct right kind of changing and morphing into nick so that kind of leads me to a question from when you first started 20 years ago how has christopher kennedy evolved and morphed from your very first project to now uh, i mean we've just done so many things along the way uh our very first project. Yeah. I remember the first time, like someone really entrusted me with her house and like handed me this big check, which wasn't a big check to her, but I'm like just this 30 year old kid and asking for like right. tens and tens of thousands of dollars. I'm like, right. is she really going to like hand me this much money and <laughs> I'm going to deliver furniture in six months. And she did. Um, and she had had Steve chase to her prior homes. I don't know if your uh, listeners know who Steve Chase is. I think he mm. still has more covers of Architectural Digest than anyone in history. I mean, some people are getting close, like Martin Bullard, Lawrence Bullard, but he defines like 80s glamour in the 80s and 90s. I mean, he was sort of the icon in the desert and in the world for that sort of 1980s beautiful glamour. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually worked for the firm briefly when I started. It was carrying on his legacy. He died of AIDS uh, in the 90s. So that was a great place for like 12... <laughs> 12 months to cut my teeth. And then I had a couple of projects on the side and like opened my own doors. And like, again, to say I didn't know what I didn't know would be a vast understatement. I worked for this big firm that was Steve Chase Associates for like 12 months, was a project assistant, had a couple of clients on the side, like this woman who had actually hired Steve Chase himself before um, and just kind of figured it out as I went along. So obviously my confidence has grown. The size of our you know projects has grown. Um, We've just, yeah, checked a lot of boxes. Something that we really did early on is most of my employees are much older than myself. Like I was a 30 year old kid and we are lucky in Palm Springs to have a lot of really interesting, successful people. And most of my clients, most of my employees were like, had kind of retired from corporate jobs, had moved here and figured out they weren't the kind of people just to play golf all day. Like that wasn't who they were. That's why they were successful and could retire early. And they really worked for me for 
not for the money, uh, like just because they believed in me and sort of saw something and wanted to build something. And I'm so grateful for that. And uh, we actually sat down after a couple of years in business and really had a retreat. And people ask, how did you do all these things? And well, it really wasn't an accident. Like we sat down and said, okay, we want to grow a brand. We want to do this. We mapped out a roadmap. We, you know, launched it to the trade furniture line, you know, scraped that together. And then we, you know, did the books. And it really was a concerted effort that looking back 10 or 15 years later paid off, but it really wasn't, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by chance. It was planned. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It (laughs) It is a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) So have you, how have you seen the industry kind of morph and change from 20 years ago to now? Um, You know, I guess they just, the accessibility, obviously like Instagram didn't exist 20 years ago. And you know, I think that for younger people starting out, you can really, you can kind of make yourself seem much bigger and more professional than maybe you are or than you feel, you know, uh, you kind of feel like you're starting. I remember that first client that hired me that I was telling you about, um, you know, Barbara that had hired Steve Chase. And I walked in and, you know, she just, she was downsizing a larger house that Steve Chase had designed and I bought a smaller 5,000 square foot house. She actually walked into a furniture store that a friend of mine owned and he was trying to help her figure it out. She didn't want to hire a designer. I don't know why. And he's like, well, I have this friend, Christopher, and you could hire him. And I remember walking into a door and charging, you know, $75 an hour and like stammering over myself to even like say that hourly rate. And she's like, that's fine, you know? <laughs> and I think all I had at the time was we designed our own condo in Palm Springs that we had bought. And I had someone take some pictures and I had printed out like four photographs on like glossy paper. Like that was literally my portfolio. And back then, like to create a website, you know, costs a lot of money and you had to hire someone to do it. And so something that I think has changed is just the technology and the access. And, you know, you can literally, there's websites that, without a whole lot of work, there's templates that you can do that you can like get yourself a website, you know, relatively easily. You can curate your Instagram. Like I think we're seeing younger people achieve success perhaps a bit faster just because you can use these tools. Like, you know, I mean, you can use Canva for, you know, like free graphic design. Whereas I always had to hire graphic designers. You can sort of leverage technology to kind of elevate yourself earlier in your career than before we kind of had to, you know, it was a bit more old school, you know, photography and expensive websites and printed portfolios. And, you know, now it's all online and there's just all these tools that you can use. And that, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, the marketing and PR aspect of it is a lot yeah. easier now than 20 years ago. You had a slap exactly and right. hire a yes. firm to do all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At we least did. we had to hire all the people. I mean, I mean, I literally kind of you know, skipped vacations to have professional photography taken. Like, it was something I always invested in was the photography and the website and the graphics just to, you know, kind of make myself <laughs> feel important enough and to be worthy of my clients when I didn't feel that way internally. Yeah. So when you work on a project, what is your process, the creative thought versus a, a vision? Uh, you know, I think we all have God-given gifts. and Maybe one of mine is just like, I had a sense of sort of knowing what someone's going to like or, or don't like, I think it's just a bit innate, but in terms of getting down to my process, something I've done since I was early on and it's not very scientific, but I just like to ask my clients, like, 
kind of three adjectives or three keywords or phrases of how they'd like the home to look and feel when they're all done. I'll say, oh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, when we're all done with this process and your family and friends are over and, you know, like you're celebrating and they walk in the door and they say, oh, your home feels so kind of fill in the blank. And I just sort of use those sort of short phrases or adjectives as like a brand DNA. And if, you know, they want it to be, well, actually, I can tell you it all comes, it's almost always the same. But uh, we kind of use those three adjectives as like kind of a, a brand DNA of like, and then every decision you make should really reinforce that feeling that they want. Um, I will say 90% of the time I've learned it's kind of come down to the three things that everyone really says. And maybe it's just the people that I attract. Um, they want it comfortable. It's not necessarily in any order. They want it comfortable. Um, they want a little bit of wow. Like they kind of want to walk mm-hmm. in and feel that sizzle, feel that pull together, feel right. that, you know, professional design. I just kind of call it, they kind of want that wow. Um, and is there even really a third? It kind of comes down to those two. You know, maybe there's sort of a something specific, but it kind of comes down to that feeling of like, they just kind of want that wow. And, um, and but then they definitely want it comfortable and livable. You know, they don't want to feel like mm-hmm. everything's too precious. So maybe that's just being in Palm Springs or doing a lot of right. vacation homes, you know, our clients don't really want to have to worry because that's not luxury. You know, luxury is not having to worry about every single thing, especially when you're on vacation and you have swimsuits and pets and grandkids. I think that's life for most anybody on vacation right. or not, but they don't want to have to worry about things uh, and sort of delivering that. Wow. While making it, Functional and beautiful, but also easy maintenance, you know, kind of worry-free. Uh, that's sort of where the magic comes in, I guess. Do you, does it happen to you when you get a client that they're looking for a particular lifestyle or they already have their lifestyle that they want to expand upon? Uh, that's a good question. You know, we're so lucky and just so fortunate to live in this kind of specific place, Palm Springs, where people sort of buy a house and they sort of don't have anything and then we get to create everything so i've never like don't call me to do one single room like it'll take me like a year and a half i'm probably not going to get to it like don't hire me just to do your living room i'm never going to want to do it but you want me to do your whole you know vacation house in six months not a problem down to the dishes and plates you know the art of the walls will do it so we've sort of never i guess we're lucky that we are kind of creating that lifestyle actually we're really they're looking to us to create it. Our, we don't tend to have to work with a lot of existing furniture. Like again, we're just really lucky that our clients buy this home. They honestly don't have anything, and so mm-hmm. we're literally creating that vision from the ground up. So we're really kind of bringing their Palm Springs dream to life, which is an amazing honor and responsibility and exciting opportunity. Well, it's a good place. Yeah, it's a good place to. It have is. That I think it's really You know, you really are. I was talking to a friend who teaches interior design last night, and she said that, you know, just so much more than skin deep. What we do goes so much more beyond the surface. We really are, we are kind of establishing how our clients are living in their houses. We're creating that lifestyle. We can set them up for success, right, in their daily lives. That when you walk home after a long day out in the increasingly scary world and your home just gives you a big hug and it makes you feel safe and secure or everything is organized or, you know, we can have that great, you know, dinner party because of the room that you've created or we, you know, can, you know, we can encourage conversation with your kids by how you establish the family room. Like we really are impacting them on such a deeper level and whether it's Palm Springs or anywhere in the world or it's a second home or a main home, 
we really are helping our clients create that lifestyle. And what we do is priceless. It's absolutely priceless. And it really makes such a difference in their daily lives when your home is comfortable and functional and inspiring. Like that just sets you up for success in every part of your life. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you wake up, feel renewed, I think, renewed each morning because you're in that environment. Absolutely. And I think you don't necessarily realize just the subconscious stress that when something kind of isn't in place or you have that extra clutter or something is still on your to-do list and it's just not getting done, Mm -hmm. like just having your house. And I can speak from my own experience, like done and complete and just not having that subconscious or unconscious stress in the back of your mind, like something is just not quite right or it's not finished or fixed or something's bothering you or you don't like that piece of furniture that it's even if you don't realize it's kind of always there in the back of your mind and having it done and done well is definitely worth hiring a professional. It's really, it's priceless. As I said. Yeah. It takes a lot of stress out of your life. Being a creative, do you test some of your, your thoughts or visions on your own home? Uh, yeah, we just, I've had several homes over our time in Palm Springs and almost 20 years and, you know, seeing the market, increase in our town becoming increasingly popular. Um, but it is actually, gosh, I guess it's been almost three years during the depths of the pandemic in the summer of 2020, we bought a new home and just uh, just finished at the holidays. So just about five months ago, finished a year and a half to two-year remodel. And it's well, not our first one that we've done for ourselves, but probably the last one. So I think I just got my my forever home. If you follow me on social media, you've been <laughs> about to share it. So and I think that is really important to have done the process yourself because our clients do look at us to guide, you know, the entire process. Yes, we sometimes do just furnishings, but honestly, more often than not, we're doing, you know, a gut down to the studs, a renovation or new construction. And it really is like until you've been through it yourself. Um, yes, you can give your clients good advice, even if you haven't, but you're just even all the more <laughs> adept and experienced when you've been through it yourself. So just in terms of working with contractors and herding the cats and doing all the things and knowing that it's always going to be 30% more as much as you try to plan every cost in advance. It's, you know, it's going to cost more and take longer. Um, despite our best efforts, uh, we definitely have been our own clients. Absolutely. Were you, were you your own worst client? Probably my husband trying to fire me and have our firm's creative director do it. Maybe just because we were so busy, you know, we're so lucky that, you know, during the COVID pandemic, we were in one of the few industries that boomed. So we were just, were, exactly. I just tried to, you know, count my lucky stars every day and kind of, you know, this, you know, like embarrassment of riches when, like, you know, I mean, uh, when other businesses were, you know, restaurants and bars were having so much trouble, we have more business than we can handle, uh, just try to be grateful. And so, it, you know, balancing doing it for our clients and getting keeping their projects going. And I think a lot of designers do have trouble choosing for themselves. So I'd like to think it's not just me. Designer friends, please, yeah. you know, message me and say, it's <laughs> not just you. Maybe because we just know all the options and we... Uh, you it's know, like shiny ball, shiny ball, shiny ball. Look at this. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, wait, I want that. Um, so, uh, I mean, although I, yeah, I like to think that our house actually kind of did get back to my roots. I happen to like yellow and green. I happen to like brown and bringing brown back. Uh, so I kind of, at the end of the day, I think I got back to me, but it took me a while to get there. Right. Yeah. It's not what you'd expect. Well, you- Great houses with turquoise and green and pink and fun things. But my house is a little bit more neutral uh, with pops of hunter green and dark brown. Not quite your average Palm Springs, but 
you know, mm. I love hey. what I like. Yeah, yeah exactly. You got you created your own lifestyle, your own Absolutely. comfort zone. Yeah. You've achieved a lot in the last 20 years, 18 years. I mean, you have a retail store. Is that your own product in the retail store that you've designed? Uh, no, it's a lot of things that we curate. So um, we have done some product licensing, the artwork behind me. We have a licensed line of art for uh, Wendover Art Group, a great uh, Florida-based company on mm-hmm. the USA. Uh, so we have licensed artwork. It's our only product license right now that we're looking at adding more. Uh, so... Our store was mostly things. I mean, in terms of the upholstery and things, some of it was our own designs that we would make and then just things we go to market and purchase and then a lot of our own artwork under our brand. We're actually in the process of really closing our major retail store um, in Uptown Palm Springs. It's not a sad story. It's okay. After 10 years, kind of like hinted earlier, you know, we sort of checked those boxes and we've been in you know retail for 10 years. Um, not an easy business. And when I kind of sat down recently and just looked at the numbers and the stress and realized my time and how can I serve my time most effectively. And now that I'm in my late forties and looking at quality of life, um, kind of realized it was a sort of time to like close that chapter and move on. I haven't really had a weekend off in 10 years. So I think figuring out the balance is so important for all of us. We're all kind of maxed out and we're all having to figure out, okay, how do we have this balance and mental health is at the forefront finally, which is great. So, you know, even though I had staff, just kind of knowing the store was open on weekends, like, okay, I kind of always felt on call and things. And I kind of realized that our design firm is busy and that I can serve my clients better um, by not having that component. When we took a larger space, I'm here in my office, which is about 2,500 square feet. And there is a fairly large lobby. So we're going to have a little more kind of boutique retail, a little bit of, a, you know, some curated experience. Uh, mostly that we can be our own best clients, just have those accessories and pillows and things that is great to grab when you're doing an installation, uh, but kind of closing the true retail, which is okay. And it's actually, I'm super excited. And my clients are thrilled because they know that they're going to get better service. So I'm not telling you not to have retail. Um, and it was kind of glad that I did it. But after 10 years, it's like, okay, next chapter. Learning process. Um, you know, you can check that okay. box now, you know, just being a great designer and like serving my clients and serving them well is like I said, I, it's what I was doing 20 years ago. And then I wanted to do all this and I'm not, maybe I sound like a hypocrite because I think that there's this kind of false impression in our industry that, you know, you have to have the product licensing and you have to have the books and you have to have, the TV show if you want it to be successful. And I think that a lot of those things don't necessarily make a lot of money. Um, I've done books. I can tell you I didn't do the books <laughs> for the money, quite the opposite. Um, and I actually happened to like to write. So for me, it was very authentic because like that's one of my passions is writing. Um, right. I think that we should be teaching designers in school, like just it's really okay, like just to be a good designer, serve your clients, be creative. Like there's a lot of really amazing designers out there who were doing huge projects whose clients don't want them to publish it. Who are making tons of money with you know millions of dollars of you know furnishings budgets, and you've never heard of them. And I think that that's a very valid career path, and not one that we as an industry necessarily promote. I think you kind of have this thing that you have to be famous, and I'm not kind of maybe self hypocrite because I'm a bit famous in our industry. But I think that it's equally valid just to be a great designer and serve your clients and be creative, you know, make good money, be fair. And I, that's enough for a lot of people. And it's not something that we promote enough as, as an industry. True, true. And I think, you know, that not to go on a tangent, but the television in other aspects, you know, yeah. kind of set the industry up 
for that, that you have to be this, but there's a lot yes. of, I think everyone has integrity in what they do yeah. and respect from all facets of the industry. It's like, if you want to promote and build a brand, great. If you want to Absolutely. be under the radar, great. You know, just great. be true to yourself yeah. and well true to who you are and still have a passion and drive um, Absolutely. to fulfill yeah. your obligation to your clients. So, right. Right. Either path is great if it's for you, but I think the sort of like lesser known path of just being a great designer is not, and maybe not getting its due. And let's just make that a, a valid path as well. If that's your, if that's your path. So you mentioned briefly the the books uh, and you have two of them. Yeah. So just writing, that was one of your, your check boxes that you wanted to achieve. And then you did two. <laughs> it was, I mean, the first one didn't have a lot of writing. I uh, actually won like the English awards in my high school, um, I was, I've just always been a good writer, which is great too. That now we have like blogs and Instagram and there's a lot of outlets for that. And there are some great designers out there, you know, who are great writers and really funny, you know, follow right. them. Uh, and it's great that you can sort of have this, you know, path to, you know, publication that doesn't have to be the traditional print path. So honestly, like a little secret, like the first book, um, I just thought maybe eight years ago, I just hired an agent to help with some licensing and some PR. And I had just gone on uh, what are one of those book companies on like, uh, not Zazzle, but like where you can make, you know, like a vacation book, you know, mm-hmm. and I just like printed this quick little thing to show her on whatever one of those websites that you can make your own book. Uh, and she was like, this could like be a real book. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And so <laughs> I like, we should just do this. So honestly, we sort of be like self published it. I like had my graphic designer, like, you know, lay it out. Uh, it was really simple. I wrote it forward and it was mostly just pictures, just chapters by project. And like my graphic designer sent it to China. We had my agent's company sort of as the um, like publisher on the side. And like, I just sort of like printed a book and it didn't cost that much anything. It was like less than $10,000. And like when I went to market brands, I knew in life, like, you know, Phillips collection people were totally happy to have me do a book signing and we sold it. And I think I broke even. So again, you can kind of, there's a lot of tools out there that you can sort of do a lot of these things yourself. So my first book, which was called California Modern, uh, was completely self-published and no one seemed to care or bad enough. And it was, my clients <laughs> loved it and we sold it in my store and we sold it online uh, and it's sold out. I haven't printed it again. Um, so that was fun. So that's my little secret, my little behind the curtain. If you want to just do that, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, invest in some great photography and you can totally print your own book for, you know, a few thousand dollars really. Um, and then the second book uh, was published by Gibbs Smith uh, and it's called Making Mid-Century Modern. They were coming to a modernism week in Palm Springs, which we can talk about uh, that I was involved with for a long time. And uh, someone said, oh, if, if you want a book on mid-century design, you need to call Christopher. And we met and they yeah hired me to write the book. And uh, we had to go do all the photography and all the writing. And I just chose to do it as like a hundred tips. I've also realized like, you know, all my fabulous friends have books and I've bought them all. And I honestly haven't like read a single word. So I kind of, even though I'm a good writer, I wanted to keep it digestible. So, and for me, just with everything else going on to, you know, just kind of stay focused, I just did like a hundred tips, um, just short, you know, five or six or seven sentences each uh, to making mid-century modern. How do you make it current and modern? Like we talked about earlier. So that's the second book and you can still buy it on Amazon. It's called making mid-century modern. So will there be a third? Uh, I think this part probably, yes. I think that yeah. is something that's brewing. And we've been investing in photography a lot lately and using a 
well, it hasn't slowed down, like I said, but we've kind of used the last couple of years to take photos and that's part of maybe you know, closing the retail store, having the having the white space and the bandwidth to pursue some other things. And I think it is about time for a third book, yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. So tell yeah. us a little bit about Modernism Week. You were involved with it or you actually started and promoted it and helped get it off the ground. Is that correct? Um that is a widely popular conception. I did not okay. start Modernism Week. <laughs> um, I will take some credit for getting it off the ground, but I did not start. So Modernism Week actually started, I think about back in 05, about, about like when I started my firm. So we almost had parallel paths. And it started really as an antique show at the Palm Springs Convention Center. Just the best vintage dealers in the country would come and show their wares. Um, and it was just an antique show. And then... Uh, it grew a bit into like tours of architecture and things. And then back in 2013, I was involved um, in ASID as whether, you know, a networking and design groups. And there was this whole sort of buzz in our local design community of why didn't we have a decorator showcase house? Like, you know, Kips Bay, New York, or most big cities or even mid-sized cities have you know, a decorator showcase, which if you don't know, is like we're a different, you know, it's a house in a different designer does every room and then people buy tickets to tour it and the tickets go to charity. Um, most cities had one and Palm Springs didn't have one. And it seemed like such fertile ground, right? And now we had this week mm-hmm. that celebrated our history of architecture. Uh, so I kind of created it myself. I just uh, decided to create my own decorator showcase house. We called it the Christopher Kennedy compound because uh, Windsor Smith, a great designer, had just built a spec house uh, with like Lux Magazine just before that. She called it the House of Windsor because why shouldn't she call it that? Yeah. I'm like, well, if Windsor yeah. Smith can call it the House of Windsor, I can call it, <laughs> you know, Kennedy Compound. So we did. And I, we, David and I bought the house, um, found it, bought it, uh, paid for the renovation. And again, just kind of figuring it out. All I could do was like, you know, call your Rolodex, right? So I just like called my friends at Lux Magazine. Didn't think they'd say yes, and they did. I called <laughs> brands I knew and loved, like Wolf Sub-Zero, and I didn't think they'd say yes, and they did. And then I called just my designer friends and like kind of begged them to do rooms like Celery Kemble and June Ho and Amart Morris Willard, and I didn't freaking think they'd all say yes, they did. I'm like, crap, <laughs> now I gotta like pull this off. Now you gotta so we, do it. <laughs> now we gotta do it. So uh, it became the official showcase house uh, for... Um, for a modernism week. And it really kind of, I think before then it was a wonderful event. It was mostly about architecture. And I think what I did was actually help bring more of the interior design world into modernism week. So I'll take a little credit for that, but I did not uh, create modernism week. I don't sit on the board. I just, for about eight years, created the most popular event. So we did that for eight years uh, and retired like in 2020. It was with the pandemic, it was kind of a good time to retire. But that was definitely our passion project for about seven or eight years. And it took a lot of our time to create the event, you know, plan the remodel, coordinate the designers. Like we, my team and I did all of that. Yeah. And it was fun. It was definitely a labor of love and a great They are a full-time project. You know, people, I don't yes, they they understand how much it entails to actually do one. Yeah. yeah. So you achieved a lot. You've done a lot. You've had your hand in a multiple, multiple types of, uh, Achievements, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, what is the next on your list in achievements or goals that you want to kind of check another box? Yeah, because kind of next on my list, it's just it feels full circle. It feels like 
we've done those things and they're wonderful and we'll continue to do that. But right now I'm kind of just enjoying just the creativity and a little bit of, it's been such a frenetic two and a half years in our industry where we been doing between doing my own home and between big projects taking a lot longer than maybe they would have because of the COVID delays and supply chain, things are wrapping up. So we're sort of taking a breath and I think, yeah, just kind of getting back a bit to really my key focus and how I started just like being a designer, enjoying the creative process, giving myself a little extra time to be creative, you know, maybe not doing show houses, not doing book tours just yet, you know, uh, not doing a retail store. For me, it's a bit of like, I guess, retreating inward just a little bit and kind of just getting back to that kid who just like drawing floor plans and doing design and serving his amazing clients who place all this trust in him, you know, and yes, the project's a little bit bigger and the clients a little bit maybe bigger, but it's kind of still the same thing. So I just really, right now next for me is just uh, serving our clients, um, you know, leveling up our business in a different way, you know, working on our processes. That's a never ending thing. Efficiency, just taking care of my team and taking care of, myself and my family and, you know, and, and, uh, getting to enjoy my new house and maybe spend yeah. a Saturday floating <laughs> in the pool if I want to, which has been about a decade since I gave myself that luxury. So that's what's next. That is me. quite an achievement upon itself yeah. in your, your process of your creativity and, and working on projects for various clients, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what sector it is, is there a, a specific process that you go by? Gosh, I wish I could say that I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, uh, so I mean, I'll tell you a bit about our firm, I guess. People like always like to know that. So yeah. we're not a huge team or maybe uh, tiny but mighty. It's uh, myself, um, my husband, who was a nurse, as I mentioned, when we met, now works full time in our business. Uh, he does a lot of like the back end bookkeeping and things like that. Um, I have a creative director, uh, Keith, who's like, my right-hand man and senior designer. So he's involved in that design. We have a full-time project manager, uh, like a full-time draftsman for architecture and CAD. And then we outsource a bit of the rest. So we could maybe grow a little bit, but it's a nice team right now. So uh, we, um, our process. Yeah. We kind of started, yeah, we, um, I don't know. We, but yeah, we started, we pull a lot of insight a lot of inspiration photos. I kind of am into fabrics and stuff. So we'll start a lot of times like with the fabrics and the scheme. I'm probably a little bit too heavily into that wallpapers will start, I think with a lot of the softer surfaces, just that's mm-hmm. our, I don't know, weakness or that's kind of our love. So we'll often start with that and then work into the furniture. Uh, when it's a gut renovation, we definitely, I mean, start by documenting the whole floor plan, you know, my draftsman designer goes in and, documents it we start to work on all the layouts we just have you know four big layout tables in our in our studio space it's online if you want to see it on the website um and uh yeah just kind of throw everything at it and put it up on the bulletin boards and then often put together four or five schemes and then kind of edit from there i think often you know if we have four different schemes we'll tend to kind of combine them i sometimes think like you know each one's a bit too matchy we'll take the best elements of them and then we'll generally show our clients one like um we'll often go into a client meeting with like a backup design in our trunk or in our secondary bag <laughs> we don't tend to bring it up in case we have to our clients 
tend to love it. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there's so many great, you know, visualization tools, probably not as high tech as we could be, but between Canva or you can outsource, you know, true, you know, photorealistic you know, renderings and SketchUp, mm-hmm. you can really go as far as you want to in terms of showing the client something really photorealistic. We don't quite go that far, but we do try to use technology at the same time. Do, do you prefer renovations or do you prefer uh, new builds? Or a little bit, bit uh, uh, We're doing a couple new builds. We're just finishing one that took three years. It was only about 5,000 square feet. It took a long time because of COVID. And the, it was a pretty complex new build. We're doing a 10,000 square foot new build in Cabo San Lucas right now, which is really fun. Uh, but I guess just being, being where we are and working with these historic right. homes, probably we do, you know, 80% gut renovations. I don't know that I have a preference. Uh, I like them both equally. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. You know, when it's a gut <laughs> renovation and we do a lot of historic homes, obviously like the history is informing a lot of it. We, you know, are swayed by the era the whatever the sixties or seventies of the, that the home was. So when it's new build, it's kind of, it's fun in a different way. It gives like kind of the world's your oyster. Like you're sort of creating like, what is right. this going to look like? Like um, it's a bit, I guess, more flexible because it doesn't have to necessarily have any precedent or protocol. So there's kind of a, an onus there in a different way of kind of figuring out, okay, what do we want this to look like? And exactly. you have to like, that's where you're going to take the time to be creative comes in. Yeah. Has there has there been anything that surprised you uh, during your professional career path? Oh gosh, I think I'm surprised every <laughs> day. Uh, like I don't, I mean, I didn't go to school for interior design. I went to school for architecture. But sometimes when we have interns, I'll tell you, I feel like the things that we deal with on a daily basis, like you, you can't even go to school for them. Like I, I think what maybe has surprised me is, I guess when we do our jobs right, like what a trusted advisor we become for our client. And I feel like we're, I was surprised by how we're, I think really the ones who have to bring it all together. I feel like we're the conduit or the liaison that is really the client advocate of like bringing together the architect and bringing together the contractor, the landscape architect, if there is one, the lighting designer, like maybe of all these different trades. And generally, I found that maybe it's just me, but like our, we're sort of the ones who are filtering all of that and really advocating for our client um, and uh, working on it and kind of bringing it all together. Um, and just that's a lot of responsibility. And I think sometimes there's just questions that you can't really go to school for. And like, a client just walked in. Speaking of a dear client, Mr. Shea, would you um, <laughs> go with Keith to the room? I'm just finishing the podcast. So I'll be right with you. Uh, it's not at all. See, so much. And that's, um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I just like, you just kind of like, I'm trying to think of like what the questions are. Like, gosh, like I'm trying to think of something yesterday where I was like, I couldn't have gone to school for this. And you're just in the field having to figure something out. You're like, Okay, you're just constantly making, uh, trying to make good decisions. I don't even know how to tell someone. Like, there's right. things that come up every day that you couldn't even know. Oh, what? You know, I don't know. I'm not being rich. Is there one? <laughs> it's just the, the right. stuff that you can't possibly prepare for that you're just like, right. okay, how do we make this work? Like, how do I get, whether it's like, you know, international shipping, okay, how do we get this thing from France to America or, and it's stuck in Milwaukee or how do we figure out this, you know, electrical condition that, you wouldn't even know. Something I have learned along the way is like 
kind of like rely on the experts. Like I think that maybe sometimes designers don't have good reputations or known for not being all that nice on a job site. And that's never made sense. Like my mom who passed away. So like she was telling me to like treat everyone with respect. And I think something we don't do is like when you're on the job site and sometimes people are not trusting the trades enough. And it's like, maybe because, you know, it's a, it's a bit racist or maybe like, you know, they don't speak great English or whatever the reason is. But I'm like, you're, you can be sure that I'm nice to that person. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how this, you know, trim condition should come together. I'm going to look at that craft and be like, hey, you've been doing this for 30 years. How would you handle this? Like ask the person in the field whose job it is and then ask someone else and then make the best decision. But I think often I'm surprised by maybe the people don't give enough respect to the workers. And like, they're the ones who are making or breaking us. Like I've never painted a wall in my life. I didn't, you know, I didn't do that. I ain't not HGTV. Like I've never hung a, you know, a sheet of wallpaper. So you can be sure that I'm going to walk <laughs> onto the job site and be incredibly grateful and thankful to the amazing, you know, workers who are bringing our vision to life. Is there anything that you would tell your 20 year old self 20 years ago about your career um, now? Have a little patience. You know, I think I was a bit ambitious, young, and like I kind of, because when we had that planning meeting when I was 30 years old, and I, you know, I think I wanted to achieve everything in five years, and maybe it took, you know, 15, and that's okay. Yeah. Sort of that you kind of, you kind of have to grow into it a little bit, and you just have to have that experience and make them, you know, make those mistakes and go through that career growth. So I say just, you know, be a little more patient and enjoy the process. If you had a crystal ball, what would you see forthcoming into this industry? Where is it going? Uh, I think the, where's the industry going? I think, where's the industry going? I think that maybe the industry should go to just, I think, you know, expertise. I think, you know, we do still make money on, you know, furnishings, but you know, with the internet, it's just uh, that's a whole different conversation that we could have about access to things. So I think that, you know, 40 years ago, interior designers were the gatekeepers of this whole world of furniture that people couldn't buy on their own. And they of course had to have the creativity and the design like my icon Steve Chase did. And but you know now it's not just about access to furniture because everyone has that access. So I think it's about really delivering that experience that I said earlier and creating that, you know, amazing end result for our clients. I think that it's about the service and, you know, pricing our fees accordingly, that we're not just choosing a lamp or a rug and a chair. We're really creating a full service experience for our clients and getting better back to that and like make sure the process is amazing for the clients and the end result. Um, I think it's about looking at the value that we bring beyond just choosing or designing individual products. Mm-hmm. It's about the, you know, the sum is, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Correct. Correct. Do you think um, we're educated continuously by what's going on in the industry that we're keeping ourselves open enough to continue educating and absorbing of the ever changing morphing of this industry? I'd almost say no. I think that we spend so much time scrolling and now so much of what we're seeing on the scroll kind of looks the same. And I see sort of younger people coming up and like, which is fine. Like, okay, 
you know, their look looks like someone who's well known, you know, doing it in Texas or whatever. It's like, I almost feel like it's just absorption and scrolling and not enough of like introspection and education and learning about history and learning about design and developing the skill set. So I would almost say, no, we're not educated enough as an industry. And I even find myself having to like, okay, stop scrolling, read a book, you know, go to a museum, <laughs> you know, like do those things. And because it's just, a, there's so much information coming at us, but it's not necessarily always the most inspiring information. So I think finding those other avenues of inspiration and education is really important. And that brings me to a, a question because you say that. So what inspires and motivates Christopher Kennedy? Uh, I, you know, definitely, I mean, obviously the, the history of Palm Springs inspires me in looking at these things. And when I give lectures, I might say that my canned, you know, answer would be, you know, I sort of do love looking at the photos of, you know, celebrities in Palm Springs. And what I kind of like about them is they were, you know, yes, they were beautiful and they were glamorous, but they were also like on vacation and they were relaxed in a way that they weren't anywhere else in the world. And for people like, you know, Rock Hudson, they were living their lives authentically in a way they weren't living their lives anywhere else in the world. So the history, what inspires me is like the idea of beauty and glamour, but combined with realness and authenticity inspires me in a philosophical way. Uh, just, I think taking the time, like I was in Portland yesterday uh, for work and we finished an installation and I got back to my hotel room, like, you know, client dropped me off. I'm like, normally, you know, a year ago, like I might've taken a nap or gone down to the lobby bar and, you know, forgot, but I, I actually like the art museum was like a block and a half away. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to take this time and like go to the art museum. And there was this, uh, you know, amazing exhibit on this, uh, on, uh, uh Oscar Howe, an amazing, um, you know, uh, artist you probably know, um, yeah. uh, um, uh, from the Dakotas and a Native American and amazing. And I'm like, this was so inspiring, like taking that hour and a half to go to, to a museum, but it's hard to do. It's hard to carve out that time or going for a hike. You really, I think it takes going inward and it takes turning off the phone and it takes turning off the email and allowing yourself that, even if it's, you know, an hour at a time, giving yourself that time to do whatever or to sketch or to doodle or to hike. That's mm -hmm. what's inspiring me now is that little extra time. Yeah, taking that breath and just observing what's around yeah. you and absorbing it and looking yeah. around. Well, Christopher, do you have any uh, closing words of wisdom? <laughs> Gosh, I'm sure <laughs> I've enough. I think, uh, no, just, uh, you know, I think when you go into things, when you, whether it's a client meeting or uh, a contractor, I think when you go into things with good intentions, I think, you know, the rest tends to work itself out. I tell my clients, you know, if I send over my contract and something seems out of whack, just, you know what, just call me. I think when you go, you know, enter into anything with, you know, positive energy and good intentions, the details tend to work themselves out. And uh, mm -hmm. to thine own self be true, perhaps my dad taught me that. And my dad taught me that when you love it, you do. You won't work a day in your life. And I try to remind myself that when I'm feeling burned out, gosh, how lucky am I to get to live out my passion every day. So just being grateful is something that I, I think is so important.